morning, church. Good to be together, worshiping the Lord together as a church family. I want to welcome you to Next Community Church. Congratulations on remembering to be here at 8.30. Good job. Let's be watching the door for people trickling in in about six minutes. We'll watch and we'll see who forgot, right? Uh, Dads, happy Father's Day to you. And um, we uh, have a little video for you at the end of the service that we'll send you out with. And um, I want to say good morning to those of you that are guests here. If this is your first time at Next, uh, welcome. We're honored that you're here. We're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Gerald, one of the pastors. And um, we just want to say wherever you're at on your spiritual journey, we want you to know that you're welcome here. Um, we're glad you're here. Um, the Lord loves you. And um, we, we pray that you're blessed today and that you would take a step closer to the Lord. We're going through the New Testament book of First Thessalonians. The name of our series is Hope and Holiness in a hostile world. And we're, we talked about these last couple of weeks, some of the hostility that exists um, in the world. Why is it so hard? Why is, why is it a difficult time to live right now? Why does life seem so uphill at times? Um, the Apostle Paul said he wanted to get back to the Thessalonians. He left abruptly. It didn't end the way he wanted it to. He wanted to get back, but he said, I can't get back to you right now because Satan hindered me. And two weeks ago, we talked about, and I pray it's on your radar now, don't forget the reality of the spiritual battle that exists, that is out there, that there's an enemy who's trying to destroy you, who's trying to take you down. And so um, we talked last week, not only is there an enemy trying to take us down, but part of just living in a broken world is that we go through trials and, and afflictions and suffering and difficulty and um, I, I want to make it clear if it seemed like last week when I was talking that it's, it's always God who's picking you up and putting you in the fire or putting you in the spiritual gym and saying, let's go. That's not, that's not always the case. Often it's just the times of A, the results of our own bad choices, or B, we live in a broken world, or C, there's an enemy who's trying to take you down. But no matter what the cause of it is, here's what I know, God wants to meet you in it and help you work through it and get stronger because of it. And that's what we talked about last week. And that's where we're going to pick up right now in chapter 3, verse 8. Paul has, I just wanted to go through that because Paul has all that in mind when he says the verse that we're going to start with. He has all this in mind, opposition, trials, affliction, difficulty. And then he says this in verse 8, for now we live if you stand firm in the Lord, right? Now this is how you're going to live life. This is how you're going to make it. Now you can live if you stand firm in the Lord. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago, and I, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it this morning, but I, I want to remind you because it's so easy to want to stand firm in your own strength. And I want to remind you that the Christian life is not one of you trying to make it on your own and just white knuckle it to the finish line and hoping that God will take you home. Right? The Christian life is one of saying yes to Jesus, and being in Jesus, and Jesus being in you. And it's this unbelievable relationship that you have with God, because I want you to notice the last three words. Stand firm, how? In the Lord. Positionally, in the Lord. Not in your own strength. Stand firm. You can make it. Stand firm in the Lord. In other words, Christ in you, in you positionally in Christ. Do you know if you're, say, if you're a child of God, if you said yes to Jesus Christ, that positionally you are already seated at the heavenly places with Jesus. 
that you are what the Bible calls a sanctified saint. That is who you are. And so um, you are, are, are not a sinner, a lowly beggar, uh, just struggling to make it. You are a sanctified saint who's still down here working out our sanctification. And, 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 and so, but God is in you, and you positionally are in Christ. And so how often does that dawn on you? And how often do you, do you know how to live out of that position? Do you, do you know how to, how to actuate and, 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 and realize and live out of the position that you have in the Lord, in Christ? And I think a lot of the times the, the reason that we as Christians sometimes get our butts kicked is because we're, we're not living out of this place in the Lord. We're trying to do it on our own with human wisdom and human strength and human willpower, and we're no match for the world or for the enemy, and we lose. And we're just like, oh, where were you, God? Where were you? And he's like, you, you're, you're trying to fight in your own. You're trying to stand firm in your own strength. And I want you to learn to stand firm in me, that it starts by every day getting up. You ready for this? Spread out your arms in bed and decide that day that I'm going to make a choice to be a living sacrifice. Get yourself on the altar and say, God, I'm going to die to myself today. I'm dying to the will of Joe, Joe's wishes, Joe's desires, Joe's dreams, Joe's vision. Jesus, come and be in my life. Live your life through my life. Let me treat people, Jesus, the way you would treat people. Let me see the world the way you would see the world. Jesus, be in me and work through me. And what would, what would it look like if throughout the day you lived from that place? You would be able to then live and stand firm in the Lord. And, and then the Apostle Paul goes on and says this in verse 9. I want you to notice this. I, I called it the triangle of joy. Notice the triangle of joy. Let me read the verse. He goes on and says, How can we thank God for you? In return for all the joy that we experience before our God because of you. It's like that was a, a tongue twister sentence. Let me, let me read it again, right? Paul says, how can we thank God for you in return for all the joy that we experience before our God because of you? You see this relationship he's there? That's what Paul's talking about. He says, how can we thank God for all the joy that we experience because of you? And, and, and so here's, here's this beautiful takeaway, this relationship that happens when you're part of a church family. There is this triangle of, of, of relationships between God and us, and he's the father on this Father's Day, the father that we all have in common. And, and so that does make us literally brothers and sisters, a family together. And so when, when you follow God, you begin to, you should begin to have your heart transformed. Begin, because Christ is in you, and so he begins to transform your heart to look more like his heart. Your heart should constantly be changing. In letting Jesus overlay his heart on your heart. And you know what's on the Father's heart? You know what's on God's heart today? People. I mean, he sent his son to die so that he could save people. That's, that's what's on his heart. His, his prized creation. People. He made everything in five days. 
And then the sixth day, he saved the best for last. He said, well, I'm going to make mankind in my own image, people. And now that's what's on his heart. And, and so, listen, when, when God's heart becomes your heart, what brings him joy starts to bring you joy. This is what Paul's going on here. He's saying he just got good news that the Thessalonians still do exist. The church hasn't been wiped out. They still love Jesus. They're following Jesus. They still love Paul, even though he had to leave suddenly. They can't wait to see him again. And he's overjoyed. And he says, oh, God, how can I thank God for all the joy that I feel because of you? And so I'm going to give God joy in the presence of him. because, like, And so what ends up happening is what's on God's heart becomes on your heart. And what's on God's heart is people. So here's... The question this morning, does it bring you great joy to see people moving forward in their faith in God? This is, this is the ultimate joy ride for Paul. They're making it. They're growing. They're following Jesus. They're still in existence. And that brings him great joy. This is what brings Paul joy, that people are having spiritual growth, spiritual victories. And so he says this in verse 10, so we pray very earnestly, night and day, to see you face to face. He's like, I can't wait to get back to you guys. And then he says, to complete what is lacking in your faith. We'll come back to that. In verse 11, he says, now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. I cannot wait to get back to you. He said, but in that verse before, if you can just go back one slide to verse 10, he says, I can't wait to get back to you to complete what is lacking in your faith. What's, what's going on there? Well, remember, he was only in town for three and a half weeks, and then he got ran out of town. And so he's like, man, I got so much more to share with you guys about Jesus and living your life with Jesus. There's so much more to to tell you. As a matter of fact, the Bible uses this analogy to talk about the Christian life being a growth journey. It literally uses the analogy of that when you are saved, when you first say yes to Jesus, you're born again into a new kingdom, a spiritual kingdom with a new heavenly father. And now you're, the Bible uses the language of a, you're a spiritual baby. You're like a spiritual infant. And Paul, one time in writing a letter um, to a church, scolded them because they stayed spiritual babies for a long, long time. They didn't grow. They didn't learn. They didn't mature. They didn't develop. They didn't work out their faith muscles. They're like, let's just stay here and be spiritual babies. And Paul called them spiritual babies. He said, you're acting like spiritual infants. And then he said this, I wanted to give you meat. I couldn't even give you meat. So I gave you babies some little baby milk. That's, that's, that's what he was saying to them. I did. I had to feed your formula. And he said, you've got to grow up. You've got to mature. You've got to move on. And so the Christian life is always going to be one, watch this, of taking next steps. <laughs> See what I did there? <laughs> but in all seriousness, that's why it was a year ago. It was in June, if you remember 2021. It was last June when we had the whole pick the name contest and we threw out some crazy names and one of them was next and you're all like, why next? That's weird. That's a weird next. That's a weird name for a church. And it is. It's different, but it's a reminder to us. And this is what I want you to think. Every time you say next community church, I want you to be reminded that that's, what, that's why we pick next because the Christian life is a journey of taking next steps with God. 
not where you're taking next steps to earn God's love. It's because you've already received God's love, and now Jesus is in you. You're in him. He's in you. And now you're walking with Jesus, and he goes, let me show you what's next. Let me show you how to mature what's next. Because the whole goal of our whole life is to be like our big brother, Jesus. That's the whole goal. Be like Jesus. And so it's always going to be next steps. And then Paul says the following, which is where we're going to spend the rest of our time and most of our time this morning. And that is in verse 12. He says, And so may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. And this is, we're going we're to put a pin in this this morning and, and camp out here on, on this verse. Um, he says that I want you to, listen, increase, not just increase, what? Overflow. Like it is so welling up in you, you're growing in it, and it's gushing out of you. It's overflowing. What is overflowing you? Love. Love. And then he says this, love for one another. He's talking to the church and for everyone. Now, he's going to come back and address loving inside the church in chapter 4. So I'm going to put that aside. We'll come back to that in about two to three weeks when we get to that in chapter 4 about the special, unique, brotherly, sisterly love that should exist in the church that makes the family of God such a unique, beautiful place that the world should want what we're experiencing in here. Chapter 4, love of the brothers and sisters together. I want to focus instead on the love of the other part. I want you to increase and overflow with love for everyone, for everyone else. That's, that's what I want to talk about a little bit this morning. Um, how's your love doing? Increasing. Not just, yeah, it's there. No, no, no. Paul says it should be increasing and overflowing for everyone. And, and this, is a, this is a tough one, which is why I want to just unpack it a little bit here this morning uh, about how do we do this? How do we love a culture that is so going sideways? How do we love people that are so opposite of us? How do we love in such a way that people that see it say, well, that doesn't feel like love? And how do we, how do, we do this? Right? Um, if we were to go out into the, into the, into the community and survey a, a hundred non-Christians, People that don't go to church, they're not like us, they don't believe like us, they don't act like us, and I give them a blank piece of paper and I have it labeled one to a hundred. And I said, I want you just to start writing describing words of the church in America. Write down the words that describe the church that you're experiencing. How far down the list would a non-Christian have to go before he wrote the word loving? And so here's, I want to, I want to push pause for a minute. I actually just want to pray right now um, because there's a lot of barriers that can come into our life that can cause us to stop being loving people. And here's the deal. It's really not an option for us because the Bible says that our Father is love. God is love. And so it's, it's kind of like part of the family gig 
that our dad, not just is loving, but he is the essence and the very definition of love. And so when he adopts you into the family, it's to carry on the family business of love. And so it's not like an option. It's like, I like to get into heaven part, but I don't really want to do the loving part. He's like, that's not how this works. And so there's a lot of things that can go on in our heart that can, listen, even deceive us to thinking that we're being loving when we're not. Like, maybe you're there and say, no, I love, I, I speak the truth in love. And we're, I, want to talk, I want to talk about that. So here's what I want to do. I just want to take a minute and pray. And invite you to pray. And would you, would you be so willing next to take a next step here about letting God examine your heart for any roots of bitterness and anger or possibility that you are not loving, that people really do bother you, annoy you, tick you off, maybe even just you dislike, maybe even some you hate. Can you let God into your heart? So can I just invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, even just right now, and just would you just kind of pray this, not out loud, but just in your own heart? All right, God, I, I need you to search my heart right now, God. I, I'm letting you in. God, show me where I'm off. Show me where my own heart even deceives myself. Where I'm selfish or greedy. I have resentfulness or bitterness. God, show me where I'm just angry in my heart. I don't want to love, I'm just angry. I carry anger in my heart. And God, I, I need you to come in and to, to weed out these things that are heart killers, that are love killers. God, I thank you I can trust you with my heart. Even the rest of this morning, God, open my eyes so that I might be more like you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. First John chapter 4 says, Dear friends, let us love one another because love is from God. And everyone who loves has been born of God. They were born into a spiritual family and this is what we do. We love. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God because God is love. So how, and I, 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 I'm guessing you feel this tension that exists in your own heart. I know I do. How do you love others um, when their definition of love doesn't even necessarily match your definition of love? Right? Because there's this thing going on in our culture that we live in now is that love equals agree. Right? And, and so I, I, want, I want to think that you and I can disagree about something and still love one another. It, it feels like it used to be that way, but now the sides are, whatever side you want to you pick, um, and both sides are guilty, is that if, if we don't agree, it's not that, well, we're going to agree to disagree, it's that the other side is evil. It's that you then become the enemy. 
and, and that we can't even come together in the middle because our definition of love has even changed. And not only is it love equals agree, but sometimes the culture even will take it a step further and say that love equals not only agree, but love equals embrace and celebrate. Like you, you don't just have to agree, but you have to swallow it and then rejoice with us in it. And, and so for us as Christians, we're like, well, man, I, I can't do that because there's another part of the equation that when we follow God, yes, God is love, but there's this whole other side where God is truth. And, and so we're, 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 we feel this tension where we, we are called to live according to truth and that there are standards and there is right and wrong. And so, and, and then we pull out verses that talk about, well, I'm going to speak the truth in love. And some of you maybe even say this. You say, well, the most loving thing I can do is tell people the truth. And to a point, you say, I, I agree with that. That is incredibly loving to let somebody know the truth. But yet, the way that you can tell somebody the truth can feel not so loving, right? And so it's not even so much that you're telling the truth, but it's the way that we're speaking the truth that does not come from a place of love, but it comes from a place of wanting to prove wrong or wanting to be right. And, and so it gets really nuanced and really tricky really fast. And so how do we do this? How do we hold on to truth? We're not going to throw out truth, but we, we can't throw out love. And chances are, like many things that are intention, you probably lean to one side or another. Right? What I have noticed, I'm stereotyping here right now, so don't, don't pin me to the wall for this, is that I, I'll say my generation, 40-ish and up, and over, we, we want to hold on to truth, truth, right, and right and wrong, and there are standards, and so, so we lean more, the, typically lean more this way. And the younger generation right? It's just love, 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 and you live your truth, right? If you would have said that to the, the boomers 40 years ago, it's just your truth. They would have, what? what? They would have smacked you upside the head with that, right? Like, what does that mean? Live your truth, There's no, right? And so, and so chances are, maybe it's not even just an age thing, right? It could, it's not an age. I'm sad of stereotyping. But in general, you lean one side or another. We just got to love, 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 and everything goes. Or over here, it's truth, 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 and it's like right and wrong. And so this is why we've got to come to the, the middle and, and look to Jesus, who is the perfect embodiment of love and truth. Right? God is love. And in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so, um, um, how do you speak truth to a culture that does not hear truth as loving? And so here's what I want to do. I want to share with you this morning four, four guiding principles. Okay, Four principles on how we as the church live out. Again, this is what Paul said. Paul said, church, you are to grow, increase, and overflow with love for each other and love for everyone. So how do we do? I want to give you four principles on how to do this, okay? Here's principle number one. Principle number one is this. I, I would encourage you, jot these things down that you might come back. You can pull out your phone, take notes on it, um, I, I think these are important because this is not going to go away. 
this, this tension. And church, to me, this is one of the key battlegrounds we've got to figure out how to do. We've got to figure out how to navigate as salt and light in a world of darkness. And the bridge or the way that we're going to travel in this world has got to be through love. And, and, and I'll raise my hand first. For many of us, it doesn't, doesn't come natural, doesn't come instinctful. As a matter of fact, and this is what Scripture says in Matthew 24, Jesus said, man, the, the more that lawlessness will increase in the world, the more that love is going to grow cold. And I can find that in my own heart. And so that's why it starts with inviting Jesus in there and getting him to kind of weed out the stuff that's off. So guiding principles. Principle number one is this. Christian truth without Christian love is a contradiction in terms. Right? Christian truth without Christian love is a contradiction in terms. Um, we've got to make sure that the way we handle truth is loving because we can hurt people with truth. And so Jesus came and taught uh, a new commandment I give you that you love one another, right? Um, we need, you need both. You can't have one without the other. Otherwise, you, you cut God in half. You, you can't just pick half of God that you're going to embrace and follow because God is love and Jesus is truth. And so we need both. And so we need to make sure that what we're doing in bringing to the world is a full, accurate picture of who our dad is. He is a God of truth who has given us his standard of right and wrong. And he is unbelievable at love and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And so Christian truth without Christian love is a contradiction in terms. We need both. Without both, we're unbiblical. You have a partial picture of God, and you can twist who God is. Truth number two, or principle number two, is like this, and, and this is actually what we need to do. We, we need to look to Jesus. He becomes for us the example of how to live in a culture that is pushing back on truth, yet Jesus demonstrated unbelievable love. Principle number two is this. Jesus always spoke truth from a, a heart of love and compassion and grace. Never to win an argument. Never just to prove the other person wrong. Right? He didn't have to prove the other person wrong. He knew he was right. He, he felt no need to just put somebody in their place. So anytime you have Jesus confronting others, number one, 99% of his confrontation in the Gospels was to the religious leaders that were leading people away from him to follow some law instead of to follow the Son of God. But even then, his confrontation and his bringing of truth came from a place where it's, I love you and I care about you. And you're wrong, and you're going a wrong direction, and you're living wrong. And so it's coming from a heart. This makes all the difference. The motive behind the, the words and the action, right? If it's coming from a place to want to justify, to want to just be right, to want to prove wrong, to, right? For any other reason that it's coming from love, then the truth can, can be more of a weapon 
than an agent of bringing them to repentance. That was Jesus' ultimate goal, was to bring them to repentance, coming from a place of love. The, be- the most beautiful picture of this, I'll just tell you to you for the sake of time, we won't look at it, is Jesus with the woman caught in adultery. You remember this story? They, they found a woman in the very act of adultery, grabbed her, pulled her out, probably naked, brought her out into the town, threw her down on the ground in front of Jesus where he is teaching, and says, hey, Rabbi, the law of Moses says that we're to stone her. What do you say? And it says that they were doing this to trap Jesus. The, the, aha, they gotcha. Aha moment. And Jesus, in brilliant fashion, doesn't respond. Remember what he did? What did he do? He bends down. And he starts writing in the dirt. We don't know what he wrote. People have guesses about what he wrote. Then he stood up and he said, All right, here's what we're going to do. You who are without sin, you can throw the first stone at her. And then he got back down. And he started writing in the dirt again. And then the scriptures say, one at a time, starting with the oldest to the youngest. They already had the rocks in their hand ready to go. It says, one at a time, they started to drop their stones and turn and left. And Jesus gets done writing in the ground and he stands up and there's the woman. You can just picture her. Tear-stained face, shamed, covered herself up, embarrassed, degraded. And, and Jesus says, woman, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? And she looks around and she says, no, they're gone. And then Jesus says, neither do I. And then he says, Go and sin no more. You see the beautiful marriage of love and truth? He called what she was doing sin. It's wrong. You can't just go around sleeping with whoever you want. There are standards. There is truth. It is sin. But the way that he handled her in such a way, I bet if you were to interview her afterwards and say, hey, how did you feel about the way that that rabbi treated you? I promise you she would have felt her head lifted up. She would have felt loved. As a matter of fact, the story goes on and talks about how she shares within the town about what happens because of her interaction with Jesus. And so how, how can we be more like Jesus to have this place in our hearts be more purified so that when we act, it's coming from a place of love. Truth number three is this. Principle number three is, is hard truth travels best on relational bridges. Hard truth travels best on relational bridges. It's cliche, it's overused, but it's so true. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And it's true. I read this week somebody that said, we have no right to preach the gospel to a starving person. In other words, let's let's love in action. Let's be literally the hands and feet of Jesus. We are his body left here on earth, so let's, let's, let's be the body of Christ. And it's interesting, all of the, not all, almost every interaction of Jesus with people is he cared about their physical needs and their spiritual needs. And so what does it look like to build bridges 
of love and care and service. I love it. I, I was talking with another community group leader. This group has adopted the uh, skip back emergency, the, the EMS station. Um, and they went in and, uh, and just mulched their, the, the skip back fire station there. Just an act of service, act of love, building bridges into the community so that we have the right, the relational right, we have the relational equity that they know that we care, that they're not just an agenda so we can get a spiritual notch on our belt that comes from a place of love because I care about you so that when we open our mouths and we proclaim the offensive message of Jesus, Jesus is offensive. He said, I'm the only way to the Father. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Everybody else is wrong. Jesus is offensive enough. We don't need to add to it with the way we act. Let's love, let's serve, and then we proclaim the truth about Jesus. They know, well, I might not agree with you, but man, I, I can't deny the way that you've loved, cared, served me. They felt it. They've seen it. Truth travels best over relational bridges. Let's make sure that we're the church that's doing that. And then principle number four is our desire and ability to love. Our desire and ability to love is connected to our intimacy with our Heavenly Father, who is love. Feeling unloving? Feel like you're kind of not doing great at this job of loving? Chances are, that's because you haven't been very connected to the One who is love. I have found my ability to dispense love is directly correlated to my ability to sit with God and receive love. If my love tank is empty, i got nothing to give. And so, it becomes really, church, job number one for you and me as sons and daughters this Father's Day to learn to sit on our Father's lap and let Him love us well. And that's what He does. It's the best place you could ever be is on the lap of our Father. Let Him remind you of everything that's true, of who you are because of Him, of His love for you, His purpose for your life, of the way He's going to be active in your life, of how He'll never leave you, never forsake you. So that when you're filled up yourself with love, you have the ability to love. You ever, you ever bump into people? Not physically, but just metaphorically, you bump into them and they're, they're ready to bite your head off. Maybe that's you. Bite, you know, it's like, whoa, what's, what's up with them? There's, their love tank is empty. And so you bumped into them and they got nothing left but anger or resentment or fear or anxiety. And so you bump into them and boom, it's like an, an attack. That should not even come close to being us because we have the ability to sit with the one who will fill up our love tank. And so my desire and my ability to love well is directly connected to my ability to sit with the one who is love. You know what 1 John 4 says? We love why? Because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Jesus said, there's two commandments. You can take the whole Old Testament and sum it up in two commandments. Commandment number one, 
Vertical. Love God with all of you. Heart, soul, strength, mind. The second command is what? Horizontal. Love your neighbor as yourself. We can't do the horizontal until we first do the vertical. That's why they're in that order. The greatest commandment is to love God first. Then the second commandment is to love your neighbor. You can't do the second commandment until you learn to do the first commandment. That's why Jesus gave them to us in that order. He, he kind of knew what he was doing. Our desire and ability to love is connected to our intimacy with the one who is love. And so let me ask the, the worship team to come. Um, we, need to, we need to commune with Jesus today. We need to commune with him. Right? He is the very picture of love and truth. He is the one who said in Matthew 24, this is why I want you to search your heart. So we have it, I think, for the screen. It's Matthew 24, 12. Because lawlessness will multiply, the love of many will grow cold. If you're here this morning and you're finding your heart growing cold because this world is just spinning out of control and it's on the inside killing you, you need Jesus. You need to commune with Jesus. You need your love tank yourself filled up so that He can remind you of the great privilege we have of the family business. That we are here as His hands and feet. Aren't you... Aren't you glad God didn't treat us the way that we treat the world sometimes? Right? Well, we say things like, they're so bad and they think wrong and their actions are skewed and God, they're not following you and I, how can I love them? And God looks down and goes, the same way I love you. Oh, Aren't you glad God didn't say, hey, um, think what I think and believe what I believe and act the way that I act and then when you do that, then come back and see me and then I'll love you. Aren't you glad God didn't say that to us? Instead, here's what happened. Romans 5.8 But God proves His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In our mess, in our sin, in our rebellion, in our defiance of our Father, like spoiled little bratty kids, God looked down and said, I still love you. Who are we to then look at the world acting like rebellious, spoiled bratty kids and be like, can't love them? And this is why the Bible says, then you don't know God, because that's exactly what God has done to us, which is why we need Jesus. We need our, our elder brother to help us. And so on the last night of his life, he took the bread and he broke it. Go ahead and work on peeling that first layer back. Church, we can't do this in our own strength. Some of us, by nature, are not very loving. I mean, some of you are all just nice people, and you, you, you're, just, you're just nice. Some of us ain't. We need Jesus. I need Jesus to just come in and, and change our, our issue-ridden heart 
Communion. Co-union. Together. Co-union with Jesus. Partaking with Him. On the last night of his life, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body. Like, there's an aspect of, 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 of being unionized with Jesus. That what we're about to partake, Jesus said, You've gotta, I've got to be in you. In order for you to live the Jesus life, you've got to have Jesus in your life. Otherwise, you're going to try to do it on your own, in your own strength. You're going to fail. You're going to feel guilty. You're going to feel like Christianity doesn't work. Yeah, I tried it. Been there, done it. Tried the church. Tried Jesus. Didn't work. No, no. You tried to do it in your own strength. You didn't try Jesus. Jesus works. And so we've got to commune with him. And so take a minute and thank him for breaking his body for us. let's do this together in remembrance of him. It's interesting to further the, the union part of the co-union of communion. I mean, back then, Right, there was a piece of bread that they would pass around and, and, and pick off. And then there was one cup that they would literally all together drink from. I don't think we're quite ready to bring that back yet. Chuck, not yet. Get COVID past us a little bit. But that, that was a, even, even that was a beautiful symbolic picture of the unity that, that comes through Christ, the co-union of communion that comes is that we're literally sharing the same bread. We're literally drinking of the same cup. We can't do that today. We kind of lose a little bit of that beautiful symbolic nature of what it means to be together with us all having these little individual things. And I get we got to do that today. But we lose something. Don't lose it. Don't lose what this is supposed to be together as the body. And the, now we celebrate the blood of Christ that was shed for you. So thank him for his blood that covers our sins, washes us away, white as snow. Thank you, Jesus, for shedding your blood. Ask him to forgive you for your sins. And let's partake together. One last verse I got to look at with you real quick. And then we'll close in worship. The next verse, verse 13, he says, we've got to love, you've got to love, overflow with love. And then he says this, may he make your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. I told you, each chapter in Thessalonians ends with a reference to the second coming of Christ, the return of Christ, right? So it's always on Paul's mind. Listen, this is not our home. The king is coming back and he's going to take us away. He's going to fix everything that's been wrong. And so it's on his mind constantly. And this 
This is an interesting sentence. It's talking about Jesus' second coming. And this is not the only place it says this in the Bible. It says the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Who's that? Is that like St. Michael and St. Thomas and St. You know, some of us grew up with that. Here's the problem with that. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. You know who the Bible calls saints? You're like, I don't feel like a saint. Well, thank God our feelings are not the determiners of truth. Right? It's because positionally, I told you in the very beginning, we're already seated with God in the heavenly places because of who our brother is. We've said yes to him, and that makes us a child of God, adopts us into his family. And so now the Bible, the word saint is just literally a Greek word, means hagios. Hagios, it literally means holy ones. Positionally, you and I are holy because of Jesus in us. And so the Bible in multiple places, this is one of them, talks about when Jesus comes back, the saints are going to be with him. Oh, when the saints come marching in. That's what that song is about. It's not a goofy kid song or something for the New Orleans saints. It's talking about the return of Christ and us coming back. And here's the question. I'm going to leave you with a cliffhanger. You've got to come back because he talks about it so much more in chapter 4, chapter 5. We're going to get there. How do we come back with him if we're already down here? It seems like somehow we got to get caught up to then first come back and get raptured out of here somewhere. That's what we're going to talk about in chapter 4, chapter 5. Let's stand and let's close and worship together.